0: LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply.
1: This podcast is part of the Dark Myths Collective. Visit darkmyths.org to discover more shows like this one. The
0: darkness awaits. Good evening, everybody, and welcome to the graveyard. Thank you for joining us tonight. My name is Adam, and my name's Matt. Now, pull up a tombstone or settle into your casket and get comfortable because this is Graveyard Tales. Well, hey, man. How's it going?
2: Um, uh, I'm, I'm good. good. Man, I, I just belched into the mic, but the I think the music covered it up. it
0: covered it up <laughs> I, uh, I couldn't believe that I was, yeah.
2: like, <laughs> I was like, oh my
0: God, don't worry. I'll hear it in <laughs> editing. We'll cut it out <laughs> so guys, if y'all uh, when y'all are listening to this, um Ashley and I will be on the beach. We're recording this a little early, so. Uh, I'll be waving at you guys from the beach as this drops, yeah, so like he's in a uh, parade, yeah, and I'll be walking by R- riding a dolphin
1: <laughs> with my with my little
0: floaties on, um but seriously, we wanted to first off thank you guys so much for your support, and we don't say it enough, and I don't think we can say it enough that just how much it means to us to have you guys supporting us and listening every week and you know it, it really gives us the motivation to keep doing this and we enjoy it and it just makes it even better that y'all enjoy it too
2: right and you know Adam and I have talked about this a couple of times over the last few weeks um and and I know I may not be as active in there um but and we mention it at the end of each show but our Facebook group is phenomenal I mean if you guys are not in there get in there because it is taking on a life of its own seriously I mean our great listeners just every day they're they're posting something funny or something scary or both or they're throwing something out there for discussion and it just takes off yeah and man w- we really really love that and we always talk about getting in there brings more people into the graveyard and it's absolutely true but we are just floored by how this has taken off so if if you just if you just thought well you know and I forgot about it or or what get in there get in there if you enjoy listening to the show you will love some of the topics that come up and are discussed that we never mention on the show right but you know spark a discussion or somebody is like hey I've got a story about that it's it's amazing
1: yeah it and
0: is if, if you got friends that are into this topic invite them into the graveyard you know we'll uh we do have to approve all of them but you know, hit them we, in that. We're w- not
2: kicking anybody no, out. We so. <laughs> will
0: we will approve it. So invite your friends into the graveyard and let's grow the graveyard. Um another thing, just a quick reminder is that we do have that live event coming up in October. Right. So go to our website, graveyardpodcast.com. You can check the deets, as the cool kids say. Um, get the deets up on the website cool and kids. Uh, the cool cool kids, kids, not us. No, we're definitely not the cool <laughs> kids. We we podcast, Matt. We're not we're That's not right. cool. Um, we podcast about ghosts and stuff. <laughs> right, yeah. We're the anti cool. But go over there, and check that links to buy tickets and everything, and just to see our pretty faces on the website. And we will definitely after the live event be adding pictures of the live event to the website and everything like that. So go over there, check it out, GraveyardPodcast.com. Now, Matt, this is going to be a long episode. Yep. So what we're going to do, we're going to cut off the little intro here. We're going to take a quick break, and we're going to get right back at it. How far are you willing to go to save your child from being consumed by a sickening evil? Devil Eye is a new thriller where a young mother dares the unthinkable to save her daughter from a cruel, not-so-imaginary friend that lurks in their home. Can a paranormal podcast host help her uncover the secret of the devil
2: eye? This suspenseful tale will take you to the crossroads of insanity and the supernatural, where love and death collide.
0: Devil Eye by Anthony S. Ward and S.J.D. Connell. Buy it now on Amazon or at devil-eye.com. That's devil-eye.com. All right, Matt, we're back. Now, what are we talking about in this long episode tonight? In
2: this long episode. Well, you should sit back, turn off the lights, put on some headphones and listen to this cuz we're going to scare the crap out of you tonight.
0: At least we're hoping.
2: We're talking about poltergeists.
0: Yes, sir. Not Altergeist. the not the movie. No. no. <laughs> Which I mean it was a good movie. It's a good movie.
2: Yeah, you know. but this is not a movie review. No. We're going we're going to talk about some people that think they've experienced the real deal.
0: Right. The legitimate poltergeist.
2: So, Adam, why, why don't we get right into this? Why don't you tell us a little bit about what, what constitutes a poltergeist?
0: All right, we can do that. Um, so, first off, the term poltergeist derives from a couple German words. Uh, poltern, which means to crash or bang about, and geist, which is mind, ghost, or spirit. So, knowing anything about poltergeist, that makes a lot of sense. Um poltergeist is used to describe all sorts of noises and spontaneous movement of objects around the house that don't seem to have necessarily a material cause. So you're not seeing anything picking it up, it's just doing it on its own. Now, the the poltergeist phenomena itself has been studied for a long time by parapsychologists. It's believed that poltergeists themselves don't normally cause physical harm to people, um they do have a heavy impact on people's psychological health, so going through poltergeist activity can mess with you, but they don't necessarily hurt you um now, but you might think they would yeah you you would think they would, and you know with stuff being flown a thrown about flown about flown about it's been flown about um (laughs) you know how we do um things being thrown about you know if if you get hit with it obviously that's going to hurt you but the poltergeist itself is not going to cause you harm you may get hit with a vase and or vase, as Matt says. Yeah. Um, because <laughs> Matt's, Matt's fancy. I don't um, say that. <laughs> <laughs> if you get hit with a vase in the forehead, it's going to cause some physical harm to you. But that, you know, that's neither here nor there. Um, some of the things that you can look for to, you know, say, okay, I do have a poltergeist in my home, you know, is there, Weird creaks and other sounds, knocking sounds in your home. Um, As a matter of fact, right? there are. There are. In most people's homes. Yeah, I mean, it's house settling. (laughs) Yeah, but you got to be able to tell the difference. Exactly. Um, Human speech that doesn't seem to be, quote, performed by a human. Um, Flickering of lights, telephone calls or text that come from you yourself or from an unknown number and it happens repeatedly because you know poltergeists keep up with the technology they do you know it, it, they seem to i mean
2: a text message from
0: yeah. from your friendly neighborhood poltergeist Well, they're not sending you um uh, morris code anymore yeah. so
2: well you, you know. know they finally quit sending emails because i mean who emails
0: anymore? yeah well <laughs> all of my poltergeist emails go to spam anyway i've got that <laughs> filter set up um But all of these can be signs of there being a poltergeist presence in your house. Now, according to some researchers, there's a few different kinds of poltergeist. Um, There's the evil ones, which will throw stuff at you. Um, There's the classic, in quotes, ones which just tend to make the sounds or they drop items, knock them off. And there's the, quote funny ones which hide small items such as spoons forks keys stuff like that which i've always believed were was gremlin activity or like fairy activity but Mm -hmm. apparently poltergeist can do it as well
2: yeah when you have that thing that you know man i just had it here i just saw it here yeah and then you find it somewhere else at a later time whether it's a few minutes later or you know weeks later and i've always said that yeah, you know, if I ever have something that I cannot find, and it's it's important enough that I, I want to look for it, when I finally give up and go, all right, I'm I'm going to have to buy another one to replace it. Mm-hmm. Either right before I buy it, or right after I buy it, I'll find the other one. Right, and then I then I'll have two. And I and I I used to always say. Well, it it finally took me seriously and it came back. Yeah. You know, it's like we had a refrigerator that the ice maker didn't work. Mm -hmm. And then the day we bought the new refrigerator, the ice maker started working. Sure. Because it's like, oh, crap.
0: Yeah, I'm getting (laughs) replaced. (laughs) They're going to do me in. Right. (laughs) Right.
2: But, you know, those kind of things, you know, they happen so frequently and we just don't think about it. It makes you wonder.
0: Right. Oh. Could, well,
2: could this be a poltergeist
0: moving my stuff around? It very well could be. Um, you know, I I had always, I grew up with the idea that that was, you know, I I use the term gremlin, mm-hmm. but, you know, because that, that's what we always called it, but basically an, uh, an entity in your home that that's how it messed with you. And there's a lot of lore about that. If you look through a lot of cultures, there's a lot of lore about that. So years ago... I don't, I can't cite how often this has helped, but years ago, what I started doing if something like that happens is I stop looking for it and I say, look, you know, out loud, verbally, look, I really need this. You can play a joke on me later, but I really need this for blank. You know, it's funny. You got me, whatever. And I usually do end up finding it pretty soon after that. Now, whether that's coincidence, Because, well, you give up looking for it and then your brain just tells you where it is. You know, you stop concentrating on it. So your subconscious is like, hey, dummy, you put it over here in your sock drawer, you know, Um, or if it's legitimately that thing going, okay, fine here. You know, jokes over Uh, either way. Try it out and and see if it works for you
2: now. And and for you, you know, it's different for me. I, I always blame a child. Right. Right. And what child took my fill in the blank.
0: Yeah. You you got a couple that it could be.
2: And so yeah. And sometimes I'm right. Because it has <laughs> right? it has been reproduced in a child's hand and I'm like, Yeah. What are you doing? This is you have no need for this at
0: all. Well, <laughs> that's that's when you act as if they are a spirit or entity and try to exercise them. <laughs> that's right. You know, make them run laps. Yeah, get the (laughs) yeah right. Get the Palo Santo wood out and start cleansing them. I can loan you some if you need it.
2: So, if you ever see one of my kids and their faces, I got smudges all over it. You know, they've got a sage rub across their forehead. You know, it's not
0: Ash Wednesday. No, I'm cleansing my children. They just stole my keys. (laughs) That's right. Um, So, until the 20th century, it was believed that poltergeists were a soul that could not find peace, or someone who died in the house. However, Frederick W. Myers, who was one of the first investigators of Poltergeist, stated that the poltergeist has no relation to spirits and ghosts and is a completely independent phenomena. And, you know, I
2: had always understood that a poltergeist was like a house Spirit, mm-hmm. Like, it wasn't you, and it wasn't, uh, you know, uh, an like outside Grandpa. entity that latched on or just resided there. Right. That it was the home itself.
0: Right. Pretty much embedded within the...
2: Yeah. Now, I think there's some cases that Adam and I will discuss that sound that way, mm-hmm. but it doesn't necessarily mean that. That's right. That was just kind of an idea that... I guess you know, growing up, you know, when you start reading some of these books and stories, you you formulate your own opinion in your head, and so that's kind of what I'd always considered. But when when we were researching this, it's it is not that case. There's so many different hauntings that can fall under
0: a poltergeist right. realm, right? And mine my. my I, theory or outlook my paradigm on poltergeist poltergeist paradise. That's going to be my new band name. <laughs> I'm going to start a new band and it's going to be the poltergeist paradigm. Yeah. And I'm going to give ghosts like a it. run for their money. I like, you know, it. Um, but my paradigm has shifted a little bit after this research as to what a poltergeist actually is. Um, and so we're we're going to get into the theories, all the different theories that people have and see what what makes sense to you, because there's a lot of these um, now, as we just said, Frederick Myers stated that it was something totally outside the realm of spirits and ghosts. So what would that be? Well, One of the theories is recurrent spontaneous psychokinesis, or RSPK. Until the 20th century again, poltergeist activity was widely considered to have a supernatural origin. Well, this changed with modern experimental parapsychology and the new view of psi as a general feature of consciousness. So many reported cases, the person whose presence seemed to correlate with the phenomena Exhibited symptoms of repressed anger or distress, and it made sense to view these effects as caused by a kind of discharge of mental energy. So it was dubbed the RSPK by William Rawl. He was a Danish parapsychologist, and he, he had this view of the living agent as the cause of poltergeist activity. Involuntarily employing the RSPK to exercise repressed internal feelings of anguish. So, basically, what that is in layman dummy speak that Adam can understand is if someone is going through some mental distress or emotional distress, then all of that basically bubbles out. And they are able to affect the outside physical world with their internal feelings. So as a, you know, tea kettle is boiling. Well, if you were to have something sitting out in front of the steam by the tea kettle, it would affect that something because of the pressure that is being expelled. So that's basically it. Um, And you think about some of these cases where, you know, someone seems to get angry, slams a door and walks off and then books go flying off the shelf as they leave. Right. You know, this is the RSPK theory.
2: And and you you've seen movies where this has been the case, mm-hmm. where there's a person that is showing signs of telekinesis and they get angry and something happens You know, something flies across the room, you know, doors shut, but they don't they don't control it.
0: Right. Right.
2: And so the idea behind this is that not only is that happening and you don't control it, you don't even realize that you're the one that's doing it.
0: Right. Right. It's it's completely involuntary. As Matt said, it just it kind of seems like it's an entity all its own when really it's not. Yeah. Um, Now, Piero Brevetto and his colleague Vera Maxia wanted to explain the origin of poltergeist phenomena. And they characterized this simply by objects flying around the room of their own accord. Now, they said puberty is a modification of a child's body, which involves various organs, chiefly the brain. So that leads us into the next theory, which is teenage telekinesis if you needed another reason to hate your teenager i'm about to give it to you (laughs) (laughs) it's no longer teenage angst right teenage telekinesis right and that's a whole nother song for that uh the poltergeist paradigm band (laughs) um so brevetto and maxia hypothesize that the changes in the brain that occur at puberty involve fluctuations in electron activity that in rare cases can create disturbances up to a few meters around the outside of the brain. So they say that these disturbances would be similar in character to the quantum mechanical fluctuations that physicists believe occur in the vacuum in which virtual particle and antiparticle pairs pop up for a fleeting moment before they annihilate each other and disappear again. Brevetto and Maxia believe that the extra fluctuations triggered by the pubescent brain would substantially enhance the presence of these virtual particles surrounding the person. So this could slowly increase the pressure of air around them, moving objects and even sending them hurtling across the room. So, again, this is an internal thing, but it has a more science-based explanation rather than the parapsychology thought of, you know, it, it being energy, this is, they're saying that you're actually creating particles around you because of the changes in your brain and the electric activity that's happening in your brain during puberty, and it's actually causing an effect externally by knocking stuff over because of the annihilation of these two particles. There's a lot of other theories that don't involve this. So let's get into some of the natural explanations that some say. There is a small realm of scientists who believe that ball lightning and the poltergeist phenomena are of the same nature. Meaning that poltergeist activity is caused by something that we don't understand completely, but it's a natural force, such as ball lightning. So the spontaneous creation of this lightning floating around is the same thing as a poltergeist. <laughs> so
2: a teacup flying off a shelf and smashing against mm-hmm. the wall is—it's uh, just that's natural. Yeah, it just happened.
0: Well, and it—that it, to me is that whole you know, you see a UFO, ah, it's ball lightning, you know, <laughs> so, you know, the spontaneous human combustion that we did, ah, it's ball lightning, you know, this seems to be the new swamp gas.
2: Yeah. Well, I, you know, I, I, sometimes I look at these ideas and I'm like, yeah, okay. You know, I could, you know, I can buy into this. It's a theory. I mean, there's, you know, very little evidence. That this is actually what happens, but when I hear this, I I almost think of this is science trying to explain something that we can't explain. Exactly. So let's make it fit. Right. Because we don't understand it. We We must come up with an explanation based on something that we do understand mm-hmm. or at least understand enough of. I mean, you know, you, you, you consider some of the ideas that um, about atomic particles, you know, our understanding of that is fairly modern, right? I mean, it's, it, you know, a, atomic understanding is within the last hundred years and a lot of the stuff that has gone on has gone on for centuries and we try to pigeonhole a lot of these things into, well, we don't understand this. You know, it just must be that we don't understand the science well enough. So Mm -hmm. let's make it fit into the science that we do understand. And and I feel like I'm kind of rambling, but am I making
0: sense to you? Am I making sense to the listeners? Yeah. (laughs) That I don't know, but I I understand you. Probably Um, not. I
2: rarely do. (laughs) (laughs) Uh,
0: I get what you're saying. and, And it's, We'll touch on this phrase here in a minute, but it's basically confirmation bias yeah. is what you're saying. Yeah. Um, they go into the argument and we all have this guy that, you know, this friend that you start talking to him about something and they don't know anything about it, but they feel inadequate because they don't. So they start pooping out answers that are irrelevant to anything you're talking about, but they can make it sound good mm-hmm. because they know how to talk. You know, they know how to weave a, a tail. So a lot of people will believe these, you know, doo-doo theories that these guys are, are spitting out. And to me, that ball lightning is that, you know, and, and they're going into, well, I don't know it, but I, I want people to think I know it. So I'm going to say it's this and I'm going to weave all of the. All of the evidence that I found. To match my my yeah. thinking, you yeah. know, you're creating an outcome that you want, despite what the facts and the outcome actually is.
2: Yeah, exactly, exactly. And I, and I think hoax is another way to do that. Mm-hmm. I don't understand it. It doesn't fit natural science, so therefore it must be fake,
0: right? It, right.
2: It. it It's a trick, you know, just like when when you're a kid and you see a magician produce a dove, it's magic. When you're an adult, you understand that it's an illusion. You may not be able to figure out how they did it unless they show you how. Right. But, you know, going in, it's a trick, Mm -hmm. you know. So. Everything that doesn't, you know. Obviously, you're thinking somebody can't make something disappear or reappear out of thin air. Mm -hmm. It's a trick. So when these kind of things happen, I think our mind wants to go, it's a trick. And again, we're we're making something fit. This is an explanation for something that we don't understand. Sure. So we can't wrap our head around it. Therefore, it's a natural phenomenon or it's, you know something along those lines, or it's a, a hoax or a trick, it, it's it's not real because it doesn't fit our understanding. So this is how we're going to explain it.
0: Right. And, you know, the it, it, the quote that I use all the time, y'all are tired of hearing it, I'm sure. And if, I'm Neil, tired. if Neil deGrasse Tyson hears me say it, he'll probably say, you're taking it out of context. But <laughs> the the universe is under no obligation to make sense to you. So just because you don't understand it doesn't mean that it doesn't happen, doesn't mean that it's not legitimate, and it doesn't mean that you have to try to twist something to make that fit so that you understand it. Yeah. It's okay to not understand something. Believe it or not, it's okay to not have that understanding. You can go out and try to find it, but don't feel that as soon as poltergeist activity happens, you have to understand it immediately.
2: Right. And- it's funny how people just kind of toss that aside and was like, oh, well, if I can't understand it or if science can't explain it, then it must not be real.
0: Now, uh, and one of the other, quote, natural explanations is fraud. Um, you know, a lot of observers argue that all so-called poltergeist activity can be explained in terms of fraud. They point to the fact that children and young people are often described as the focus of alleged poltergeist activity and are furthermore often said to be emotionally unstable. Conditions that might be regarded as potentially productive of fraud. Trickery has been discovered in some of these cases, and they think that, you know, just because some of these were fraud and that they have been found out, that all of them must be. And like we just said, you know, because the child seems unstable, that they must be lying or that they must be committing some kind of fraud or that the parents are. Right. And I think there again, like we were just saying, it it's a cop out answer. Yeah. You know, it,
2: yeah. God is love. Love is blind. Ray Charles is blind. God is Ray Charles.
0: <laughs> Something like that.
2: Well, I mean, you know, that that's essentially what you're saying. You know, well, if if this one's a fraud, then they're all a fraud. Right. You know, I'm going to, you know, if if a plus b equals c this time, then it must be a constant.
0: Right. You know, that's got to be the answer for everything. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah.
2: You know, math may not explain everything, you know, at least with what we're talking
0: about. Right. Um, Now, another one is just misinterpretation. So they said numerous experience have experiments have confirmed that eyewitness testimony can be unreliable and that observers often see what they expect to see. However, sound anecdotal evidence may seem it must be verified before being used to support generalized conclusions. Now, here's my one argument to that and we'll move on. But because we've, we've discussed eyewitness testimony before. Um, So the, my one argument to that is, is you're saying that eyewitnesses can't be trusted because you can misinterpret data that you gather. Well, if you want to talk about witnessing something, if you perform an experiment on something and you, you receive the data from that experiment that it gives you, you are also interpreting that data. You are witnessing, you're an eyewitness to this data that it's given you. How do I know that you're not misinterpreting the data that this test showed you? So technically, we're all eyewitnesses. Sure. No matter what, we're witnessing something and interpreting what it is. Our brain can interpret and change it. So science and the scientific process is a little more reliable. I'll give you that. But it's still you're interpreting data and the scientist himself can misinterpret it.
2: Yeah. But again, it's taking something that we understand to explain something that we don't understand. Mm -hmm. And that and that works, you know, in a lot of cases. You know, when we're talking about a scientific experiment, you know, you, you take something that is known. You know, this is how this, this works. This is how this reacts. And you take an unknown and then you can explain the unknown. You know, you can find properties and attributes of an unknown with something that's known. Right. So, you know, yeah, that works. You know, it, it it does, but how, how you interpret it is, is key. Mm Mm-hmm. You know, it may explain what an unknown is, but you still may not understand every aspect of that unknown. You know, so when you hear anecdotal, you know, reports of a a poltergeist, of a haunting, you may be able to say, okay, well, we know that this can happen. We have... We have documented evidence of, you know, houses settling and causing, um, you know, violent shaking or objects to fall off of shelves or even things to, you know, to move. You know, if, if your foundation shifts and furniture slides across the floor, you know, sure, it, it would it would freak you out. Mm-hmm. But there is an explanation for why it happened. You may not know that, right? But yet you've witnessed it. So again, it's how you interpret it. Mm-hmm. If I see that happen, and I'm I'm somewhere that I I'm well, I don't know the history of this house. You know, I don't know how old it is. I don't know what the foundation structure is like. And I see a chair slide a few inches across the floor, and nobody touched it. I'm thinking, whoa, that was weird. What what could have caused that? Well, I'm I'm no I'm not an architect or an engineer or anything like that. I I may not, I I could go down there and look at the foundation and be like, I don't see nothing down here. Somebody else may be able to interpret it as, well, I I see evidence that there's been a a physical change and that could have been what caused it. Mm -hmm. You know, they're going to interpret it differently than me.
0: Right. Sure. Um, Now, another one is natural physical phenomena. And it's been suggested that underground seismic forces or vibrations caused by sudden subterranean water movements could, in principle, account for typical poltergeist effects. Examples cited are paintings being removed and thrown from walls, small objects being displaced, and rapping sounds being heard throughout a building. Now, I get it. You know, um, there are. If you have seismic activity under a house, you know, earthquake, it's going to shake your house. But I think 90% of the time, it's not going to be isolated to that guitar hanging on the wall behind you. You know, if there's a seismic event under the house, water that moves and creates a void. So the rock, the bedrock shifts. It's not going to shift just that guitar hanging on the wall and pick it up and throw it off. You know, the whole side of the house is going to shake. Yeah. So in some of the cases that we've read where a room will shake, a poltergeist will cause a room to shake or every object in the the room goes and shakes for a minute. I'll give you that. It It could be seismic activity, you know not a full-blown earthquake, but something that happened directly under your house. But in the cases where one object moves or you see multiple books come off a shelf, one after another after another, and they're not like dominoes falling, it's more like being pulled out, I can't I can't see that being seismic activity. Right,
2: and you're going to hear this in some of the... The accounts that we talk about, objects being placed or staged. Right. Not, not. oh, well, this moved or this was left out or this is in a different location. When it's actually placed in a specific manner,
1: mm-hmm.
2: you know, sometimes multiple objects, and you're going to hear about that later, where something is, is put in a way that this is going to draw attention.
0: Mm-hmm. You right.
2: know, that, that's, that's not seismic no, activity. No, that's not going to be
0: water movement underground that is, you know, opening a book to a certain page, yeah. you know.
2: But, you know, water movement underground, as we've talked about in past episodes with haunted locations, can, you know, in theory, act as a magnet for this kind of energy. And it, it could very well if we're, if we're opening our minds enough to think, okay, a poltergeist is a real deal. Then you know underground activity, uh, an under you know an underground spring moving water. You know we've said before acts like a battery, mm-hmm. and it's feeding energy into whatever entity is there. That's why it's there. It needs that
0: energy, right? Like uh, the red boiling springs. Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, like we talked about first episode. It it, it holds. And amplifies the activity. So, sure, you know, if it is an external entity, then you probably do have water there. Um, Now, there's another approach to explain poltergeist phenomena that a man named George Owen looked into, and it is the substantially extended or modified laws of physics. And he wrote a whole book about it, and he divided them into multiple categories. So let, let's let touch on a few of these categories. The first one is action at a distance. And this theory suggests that a person at the center of poltergeist activity, the medium or the agent in quotes, reacts directly on an object to be moved without the existence of any intermediary field or mechanism that is in the intervening space. So as Owen pointed out, this is logically equivalent to non-localization effect, which is basically telepathy or clairvoyance. So it's saying that someone is aware that they are moving the objects and they have that ability to move objects. And, you know, there's a lot of cases of people who can do that spoon benders, yada, Mm -hmm. yada, yada. So that would be the action at a distance is that. In one way, I guess you could consider this a fraud account because it's not an actual poltergeist. You've got somebody performing the act for you to get an outcome, but they're still doing some. Some form of. I don't want to use the word magic, but it's a trick. Right. Um uh, but they themselves are the ones that <laughs> I'm are Admiral Akbar over here. It's yeah. a trick. It's a trick. <laughs> um they're the ones themselves that are causing that to happen. Um there's an another theory that he has called the higher space. And it's a theory that invokes the existence of an additional physical space lying outside the ordinary physical continuum but accessible to some form of energy or matter action at a distance might only seem to be. So this is that a higher space exists like above our physical universe. And a lot of us can't access this, but something can, and something lives in this higher space. So this this is a theory that goes to a lot of different topics or things that we have talked about and will be talking about in the future that basically the the multidimensional theory is that our dimension our realm that we see is being acted acted upon by something outside of our realm so it may be a physical being in its sense you know, and it, it's its own universe, but it can pass over into ours and move stuff around, mm-hmm. screw with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, people have said that about aliens and everything else. So there, there's a higher, a higher field. You know.
2: Yeah, I'm telling you, if you ever been screwed with. You're not worried about where it's coming from? No. It's just it's a, all these theories go out the window.
0: Right. I mean, you're like, God dang, that plate just busted right there on the table. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm getting out of here. <laughs> um, Another one is the field theory. And this one, to read what he has on it would take us a long, long time. So I'll just yep. summarize it for you. This is basically the theory that we were talking about before, which say there's a magnetic field or something like that, that we act upon this field and this field acts upon an object, um, whether knowingly or unknowingly, but there is still us as the original agent of the movement. Um, As you have like, Magnets there's a field in between them, and you can disrupt that magnetic field, or you can bend that magnetic field and move objects with a magnetic field. This is basically the same thing mm-hmm. um, now, the anthropomorphic theory this is in a way where you give some i'll use the 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 word life. Very loosely here, but you give life to objects where you anthropomorphize these objects and give them some sort of life where then they can move on their own. Kind of like the talpas that we had mm-hmm. discussed, mm-hmm. Um focusing on an object, you bring it to life and it does its own theory. I'm thinking about in my head, a cartoon um The Simpsons, my favorite cartoon, (laughs) Um, in one of them, in one of their Treehouse of Horrors, they have a little elixir, that elixir of life, and it gets knocked off a shelf, and it lands on a stool. And Simon Stulowitz is born, and it's this, you know, anthropomorphic stool that runs off to Hollywood to, you know, be a star. But (laughs) you've given life to an inanimate object, and now it is its own object. so. These books flying off its shelf, you have anthropomorphized these books. So now they themselves are doing the movement. There is no other force or anything acting upon it. It's that object itself. And now that we've gone over all these theories, let's take a quick look at some of the challenges that are faced by investigators that have to investigate these things, because, you know, you're going to get a call. Somebody's got to come look at it, you know. That's right. You
2: know, you got some crazy stuff going on. You know, you, you bring in an investigator. What are they, they going to consider the first time they go and they meet these people, they enter this house, and they have to look at things objectively, Right. You know, they they have to collect as much data as they can and in a case like a poltergeist,
0: that can be very difficult. Oh, sure. Yeah. Sure. Um, now one of the one of the things is poltergeist activity is very rare and it usually only lasts for a few days or a few weeks. So that by the time this case comes to the attention of any parapsychologist, it's probably ceased, probably no more activity. So all they have to go on is anecdotal evidence, stories, um, looking at things that are broken, you know, talking to witnesses, perhaps. But very rarely do they get to actually witness the activity and make a determination from there. Um, Funding is available for certain types of paranormal investigation like psychokinesis and ESP experiments, but there isn't much funding for parapsychologists studying poltergeist activity. So they don't have the funds to be able to go out there and look for it. So if you want to help out a parapsychologist, give them some money. Yeah. Give them some dough. Shop
2: local. (laughs) Right. <laughs> Find your local
0: paranormal investigator. Right. And buy something for, I don't know, buy, buy their K2 meter and then give it back to them. I don't know. Um, but poltergeist activity typically arises in domestic family situations, which may sometimes be tense. And it's usually at like unsocial in quotes hours. So it will happen when you're laying down to go to bed or you know if you're having an argument with your kids and you don't want people there during those times to be able to investigate it so you would have to have a parapsychologist at your house during some of the most inopportune times yeah you know
2: and you know i in 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 my line of work not podcasting um when when i'm talking to the people that i work with a lot of times i will tell them some things that help them understand what goes on with them at night and the easiest way for me to explain to somebody what's happening at night is you're you're essentially when you're going to sleep when you're ready for bed you are removing As much external stimuli as you can. And when you begin to relax, your brain does the same thing. It's going through a process. You know, if you've ever talked to somebody that has insomnia, true Mm -hmm. insomnia, more than just, well, I just I didn't sleep good last night or I couldn't get to sleep or whatever. That's not insomnia. That's just I can't get to sleep because of something going on. You know, a a a true case of insomnia is they'll tell you things like my brain won't shut off. Mm -hmm. Like you know, I have a I have a really good friend that deals with that. That he's like I I, my brain doesn't ever quit. You know, consciously I'm it's constantly bringing things up that keeps me awake thinking, not necessarily bad things, just stuff. And it doesn't ever hit that phase where it says, oh, it's time to rest and it's time to go to sleep and I'm going to go through this transition. When you're doing that, all those external stimuli are gone and any stimuli then comes to the forefront.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So the noises of in a house are are much heightened. You know, you're li- you're lying in bed. And I always like to use the the ice maker. You know, you hear that noise of, of ice falling. It didn't just start when you went to bed. It's been doing it all day. You didn't hear it because you've got a TV on or you're working, you're looking at the computer or you're messing with your phone or the kids are screaming or there's a guy mowing his lawn next door. You don't hear it. You don't pay attention to it. When you remove all that stimuli, then it becomes, holy crap. What was that? Right. Um, you know, it's you know, I'm I'm telling folks it's the same thing with your your own body. You know, you you go throughout the day and you you don't experience pain or it's very minimal. It's because you've got a lot of things that's taking your brain away from it. Mm-hmm. When you lie down, it's like God, I hurt so bad at night. Well, you're not watching TV. You're in a dark room, you know, you're trying to get comfortable, and your brain says, Man, my foot hurts really bad. And then you'll you'll hear people say, Well, I just I hurt so bad at night. Um, yeah, it's because you're noticing it more. Right. And so you you hear things or you sense things because any any stimuli at that point becomes heightened. So that goes into the idea that this poltergeist activity occurs in non-traditional social hours because you're much more aware
0: of it. Right. You The the books themselves could be falling in the next room. You just wouldn't know it right. until you're laying down to go to bed. Mm-hmm. Um, another thing that they run into is that the experienced parapsychologist may find themselves competing with local amateurs who have heard about the case, either from local media or whatever, and they tried to initiate their own research. So either the professional will show up and there's already somebody there and, you know, the family doesn't want to let them in because they don't know the difference, you know, right. and and so that, well, no, Joe Schmo is already investigating this, you know, so I, I don't want two of y'all here. Or someone will have done that and left, not helped, and the person that could have helped is shunned or turned away because of phonies in the business. Right. You There's know.
2: not a better business bureau for paranormal investigators. Exactly. Know. You, you don't get a bad Yelp review for, the, for
0: the, know, guy, the, the paranormal investigator that's down the street i'm developing now something for uh graveyard entertainment here we're going to start like a yelp review for ghost hunters and um parapsychologists and stuff <laughs> like that so uh be looking for that in the future yeah. from graveyard entertainment <laughs> um we will have that um but those are are the big challenges that are faced by most investigators. Um, So on that last one, if you're not experienced and there is a legitimate case that you feel is happening, you know, call somebody professional that does this and, you know, either see if they'll let you tag along if you really want to be involved or just let them handle it. Most of them do. Right. Now, uh, Matt, let's go ahead and get into some stories from you. So now that we've...
2: uh... We bored you to tears. No, not really. Right? <laughs> <laughs> nah. I mean, we we did this in this way so that you could understand what what these researchers are thinking that poltergeist activity is. Now we're going to get into some of the the actual accounts of poltergeist activity, and you can form your own opinion. Um you can take some of these theories and say, yeah, I could see that that was the case here, but I think you're going to find that a lot of these aren't going to fit. And that makes them even more scary. So looking at poltergeist cases, the the earliest known poltergeist case uh, occurred in 94 AD. It was an exorcism witnessed by Flavius Josephus. Now, according to The PK Zone, A Cross-Cultural Review of Psychokinesis by Pamela Ray Heath. Jewish Jewish historian Flavius Josephus may have the claim for the first account of poltergeist activity ever recorded. Josephus reported on an exorcism performed in 94 AD in which an unclean spirit was being drawn out of an innocent individual. According to Josephus, after successful exorcism was performed by Eleazar, a bowl of water located across the room was overturned by unseen force. Now, you know, this, you know, this may seem kind of lame, uh, especially by today's standards, but as we're used to malevolent spirits marauding through houses, possessing creepy clown dolls, or doing a lot worse, you picture the scene an exorcism is being performed and as an unclean unseen spirit is exorcised from the body an object all the way across the room overturns seemingly on its own. So that idea that you know a spirit leaving the body has a a, a physical effect on an object in the room um, that's really what poltergeist activity is at its core.
0: Right? You know, exactly. may
2: not necessarily be leaving the body, but it's, you know, a spirit, an entity, an energy that is acting upon a physical object that can be, you know, witnessed.
0: Right. Right.
2: So um some of the I, I went through and tried to find some of the most fantastical, some of the scariest, some of the most unusual documented poltergeist cases and And I've come up with some that are really, really interesting. Some have been heavily researched, some have not um, but they all have their own unique characteristics and there's There's similarities and there's differences but the the one thing I found with all of these cases is they're they're pretty scary. You know, especially if you were one of the individuals this was happening to. And we like those. We love those. So let's talk about the first one, the the Thornton Heath Poltergeist. Now, this is summer of uh, of 1972, August, and this family was awoken middle of the night by a bedside radio turning on by itself onto a foreign radio station. The family had no idea where the radio station was transmitted from and had never turned it to that station before. Later that same year, the family noticed that Christmas ornaments would go missing only to appear in another location. Now, the new year brought a whole new mass of paranormal activity, and the family would constantly hear footsteps, of an unseen visitor walking through the bedrooms upstairs. Now, several days after New Year's, the, their young son was awoken by what he later described as a tall, angry man um, standing in his room. The man hovered over him as he lay there, and he said he looked incredibly evil. And the son later claimed that the man was dressed in old-fashioned clothes. And I say that with with air quotes. I don't know what constitutes old-fashioned clothes, but to a child, it would be something that looks different than what he's used to seeing people wear. So before too long, visitors to the home began to notice um, some of the disturbances. And one evening, the family was in the process of holding a dinner party they had some close friends over and the the front door began to shake and knock violently and it they said it seemed as though the front door was being knocked um and then the knocking grew louder and then it became it began to shake and rattle um the people at the party began to stand up kind of alarmed thinking some somebody was outside and the door flew open on its own, and every light in the house began to turn on and off simultaneously. So that's not something you see every day. Right. Uh, the, the family realized things were getting out of hand. So what they do, what we told you to do, call somebody. Mm-hmm. So they start bringing in people to investigate. Um, they did manage to get a hold of someone from their local church who sent a priest to the home. But unfortunately, blessing the home only made matters worse. And that's something that we see in these poltergeist cases is that the traditional cleansing and blessing of the house by either a priest or another religious person only seem to make matters worse. They don't make it any better. Uh, they then brought in a medium who who came to the house. Now, the medium had a little bit more success in figuring out what was going on. The medium was able to deduce that it was an entity and it was actually a dead farmer by the name of Chatterton. Now, this Chatterton person was angry with the family because he considered them to be trespassers on his land. So after a little digging, they did find out that a farmer named Chatterton owned their home during the mid-18th century. Now, for some reason, old Chatterton's wife decided that she wanted to get in on the action. And she tended to target the wife of the family. And so the, uh, the wife would notice that when she would walk upstairs, she would become aware of someone following her. And so when she would turn around, she would see... Oh, Mrs. Chatterton walking right behind her up the stairs. No, thanks. Yeah, I'm out. I'm getting cold chills talking about it. <laughs> um, but as soon as the the specter noticed that she had drawn attention to herself, she would disappear into the shadows. But eventually, the, the haunting got so bad that Chatterton would, would pop up on the family's television screen. That's weird. Like interrupting their show. Wow, so they're in there watching will of Fortune, and here's this old uh you know this this old farmer coming on there mm-hmm. you know going you know i i'll I'll take the rest on the gift certificate, yeah, right <laughs> <laughs> only people that watched Will of Fortune like I did when I was a kid will get that you know when you used to win and you have to shop for your prizes so with that, the money that you won.
0: there's like two people then that'll I'll take that, that.
2: I'll take the porcelain <laughs> Dalmatian
0: for seven hundred. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if that's okay. legitimately hey, what hey, happened, it we, is. We.
2: <laughs> I, I swear they'd have this thing. All these prizes with big, huge, friggin' price tags on them, and if you won like two thousand bucks, you got to spend your two thousand bucks on the crap they had sitting over here, and it was literally that kind of stuff. Wow. Okay. Tangent over. Okay, so this this haunting and as Adam mentioned earlier, they they don't tend to they don't last forever. They have a beginning and they have an end. But this one lasted for four years. Wow! And eventually, the family decided, okay, enough's enough. Four years of it. Come on, man, give me a break. Right? Try like four days. Yeah. I'm I'm gone, man. I I'm, I've moved into a hotel. I'm finding a realtor. Mm-hmm. Like we're getting out of this place.
0: Calling one eight hundred poltergeist.
2: <laughs> Four years they suffered with this, and eventually they moved out. So when they moved out, everything stopped.
0: Hmm. So you know. So yeah, that falls. That actually kind of falls into a couple of the theories that we had. You know, one yeah. is that it is an external source that it's. You know, could be the the ghost causing it. Um, And the fact that when they moved out, it stopped, you know, it could have been something attached to one of the family members, mm-hmm. or it could have been just the way the family member reacted inside the house that caused this to manifest.
2: Yeah, but, you know, and you'll see this as a common thread, there's something about these particular hauntings that says, we don't want you here. Mm-hmm. For whatever reason it is, we don't want you here, and it and it's a it's a personalized you. We don't want you here, right? Because we'll see that other people will move into these homes, and the activity isn't there. Yeah. So, as I said before, you know, I always had this idea that it, a poltergeist was something that you know was attached to a house that may not necessarily be the case. Right. Right. Because if we're talking about activity that began and ended. And when the people moved, the activity stopped and didn't follow them.
1: Mm-hmm. It
2: didn't go. I mean, we, we've we've had situations like that where uh, something will attach to a family member or, a, you know, a group of people in a family and it will follow them from place to place.
0: Right. Right.
2: Um, but the in this case, it did not. And it, it was it was centered around a, a time frame they left. The activity stopped, and nothing else happened in the house. So, you know, future residences in that ha- res- residents in that house did not report the same activity, right. or really any. So, now this next one I-, I thought was pretty cool. This one is called the Mackenzie Poltergeist, and and the place where the McKenzie Poltergeist is is a pretty haunted, creepy, freaking place anyway. Um, but at the Greyfriars Kirkyard in Edinburgh, Scotland. This place has a really deep, violent history, which just makes it ripe for hauntings. In 1679, King Charles II defied the 50-year-old National Covenant, which was a signed pledge to keep Scotland a Presbyterian country by decreeing that all the Covenanters practice the new state religion. Now, the outrage that occurred, with the king making this decree, was tremendous. And he forcefully ended this standoff in a bloody battle called the Bothwell Brig. So the remaining coventers that survived this battle, they refused to swear allegiance to the king. They were imprisoned in Greyfriars Kirkyard, which is the cemetery outside the parish there. Right. Now over the next few months an estimated it's estimated that there were thousands of imprisoned Presbyterian Coventers they were subject to torture, exposure, starvation and beheadings all at the hands of Lord Advocate Sir George Mackenzie. Now publicly Mackenzie was considered a loving husband, a father, a scholar and author. All the while behind the scenes he's tormenting and executing his prisoners in just horrifying manners it's estimated that mckenzie was responsible for the deaths of 18,000 of his countrymen good lord i mean that wow. takes some work i mean you got to be a bad dude to just be like oh yeah well let's 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 cut this guy's legs off and you know what we'll, Cut this one's arms off. That's
0: not a hobby anymore. No, that, you're putting some effort into that's this. That's a full-time second job. No kidding.
2: So, you can see that just whew, the the amount of anguish and bloodshed that went on in this small little area, it, it just, it, it fuels the fire for something to happen. Well, yeah. Yeah. Um, now, ironically, after his death, Mackenzie's death in 1691, he was entombed in the black mausoleum in Greyfriars Kirkyard, the same place that he did this to all these people.
0: Seems fitting.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It also seems like a there's some bad juju going to go on right there. And it did. So about 300 years later, In 1998, supposedly seeking shelter from the elements, a homeless man broke into the black mausoleum, which up until that time had pretty much been sealed.
0: That's miraculous in and of itself. Right.
2: So while searching around, the man came across an iron grate in the floor, which led to a winding staircase down into another chamber. Now, in this second chamber, the man found several coffins, one of which was presumed to be Mackenzie himself. Now, while trying to smash into one of these coffins, either, you know, looking for valuables, something to loot that he could steal and sell, a hole opened up in the floor, sending him falling down into a third chamber. Now, this chamber was filled with the rotting remains of plague victims thrown into the pit for a quick unceremonial disposal. Now, understand, you know, when we talk about the the Black Plague, you know, there was a lot of fear that even the dead bodies could continue to spread the disease. Mm -hmm. And so when someone died from the plague, they wanted to get rid of their remains as quickly and efficiently as possible. So these people were not given burials. They were disposed of like trash. And that's what happened here. But where the black mausoleum was above this chamber, it sealed it so well that these bodies were not fully decomposed. Oh, wow. So this guy didn't fall into a pile of bones. He fell into a pit of rotting corpses.
0: That Yeah, no. Yeah.
2: So, um. It scared the crap out of him. Sure. <laughs> and so he managed to get his way out of this thing and go running, screaming across the kirkyard, which alerted a security guard and pretty much scared him, too, mm-hmm. you know, because no nobody went in there.
0: Shouldn't be anybody there.
2: Right. I mean, there's really no reason for you to go into the black mausoleum.
0: Right. Or, or any, really. Um Stay out of mausoleums, kids. Yeah,
2: that's that's a good rule of thumb. Yeah, you know, don't don't go in there. So, it was believed. Oh, oh, and 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 the the man that ran off screaming, they never heard from him again. You know, so probably went crazy. I'm sure, but it's believed that by opening this tomb, that the man ab- awoke some evil poltergeists. So there's the history of this place. Let's see what happens. And this is all since 1998. Okay, this is. Pretty, this is twenty. This is the last twenty years. Pretty this has been recent, going on. Yeah.
0: relatively speaking.
2: Oh yeah. So the next day, after the homeless man uh, broke into the mausoleum, while looking through the mausoleum's iron gates, a woman was blasted backwards by a cold force. Soon after that, another woman was found lying on the ground near the tomb and she had ringed bruises around her neck and had claimed that she had been strangled by these invisible hands. Now, attacks like this continued, including a young man found with similar injuries around his neck as the strangled woman. The city council locked the black mausoleum, and the area was restricted. Since 1998, there have been over 450 Reported attacks. That's a lot over a twenty-year period. You want to go? (laughs) no I I don't know. I I may go and stand at a distance. Yeah, right. But oddly enough, Matt
0: would send me. Oddly
2: enough, a company did indeed get the city council to allow them to begin doing tours. So you can go and tour the Black Mausoleum. Why on earth? Now, no, no, and I take that back. You know there are people, and I'm I'm gonna get off on an aside really quickly. I have discovered a new show on Netflix. It is called Dark Tourist, mm-hmm. and this dude goes around and does these tours of places like you know radioactive areas from atomic bomb testing right. to um. You know, he he went to Jeffrey Dahmer's house, right? You know this kind of stuff. So there are people out there that want to do this. But check out that show; there, it's pretty cool.
0: There's a guy on that thing. I think it's Paul Kudinaris. Um, yeah, Paul Kudinaris, K O U D O U N A R I S, that does something kind of similar to that, but he does it in books. Um, he, he photographs these places and does like, you know, yeah. their big fancy artwork things. So check that out if you like that stuff.
2: Yeah. So there are people that would want to, but when you hear what happens to some of these people on these tours, you may reconsider. So unexplained fires, cold spots and dead wildlife are all common occurrences in the vicinity of the vault. Now, People have reported having their hair pulled, the sensation of being punched or kicked. Some have experienced unusual bruises or scratches, and others reported nausea, numbness, even burns. Now, they're paying for this. Right. (laughs) Right. We're going to go somewhere where this could happen.
0: Uh, It's like those haunted houses you go to that torture you. You know, people dig it.
2: Our actors will not touch you or harm yeah. you if you don't touch them.
0: Right. No. Wrong answer on this one. Yeah, right. You might
2: as well have to sign a release yeah. to they're, go
0: on this. They're touching you.
2: Yeah, they're going to touch you. You're going to see them. And the disturbances aren't always physical. You know, visitors who tour the vault have reported the the odor of smelling salts or the stench of sulfur, mm-hmm. uh, unexplained laughter or growling has been heard coming from the area beneath the mausoleum as well as knocking that begins from underneath the tomb only to grow louder and louder as it seems to go up the walls this is on a tour folks this thing is not afraid of people and it's not shy right it's making itself known and it's making itself known in a big big way um so you know when i when i started really digging into this i was like holy crap, you know, this place is serious. Right. I mean, you you take you think you're going on some little ghost tour, and they're going to tell you some scary stories. You can go home and tell your family. You may go home and go, look at my neck.
0: Right, right.
2: <laughs> I had a ghost try to choke me. Best ghost tour ever.
0: <laughs> I, got, I got a broken arm. I have two elbows now, but it was a cool ghost tour. I'm telling you, know.
2: you if I get burned on a ghost tour, man.
0: Yeah. And that you know, that fits definitely with that evil poltergeist activity. That's right. if, if it's legitimately a poltergeist and nothing else, you know. But
2: again, it it's something that's saying, "Go away! You right. are not wanted here." Right. You know, especially for three hundred years, there's no documented stories of of these things going on. Mm-hmm. It, all of this begins with this homeless man breaking into the vault. Yeah, it thanks, awoke. He awoke something. Yep. Something. You know. There's been too many eyewitnesses to these things. There's way too many stories uh from people just going there. You know, just being around it.
0: That homeless to, dude's
1: a jerk.
2: Eh, you know, eh, it ain't nothing. It's a trick. It's hoax. I, I don't know. I mean, if I walked away from there with scratches on my arm. Yeah. And I couldn't visibly see somebody actually do it, I, I'd be I'd be convinced. Oh, I'd right, be convinced right. something's there. So um the, the next one I'm going to talk about is probably the most famous poltergeist case. And because of that, it has come under the most scrutiny. Um, it is the Enfield poltergeist. Mm-hmm. Now, in August of 1977, single parent Peggy Hodgson called the police to her rented home in Enfield after two of her four children said that furniture was moving and knocking sounds were heard on the walls. The children included Margaret, age 14, and Janet, age 11. A police constable said that she saw a chair wobble and slide. Later, she claimed that she uh, also heard disembodied voices, loud noises, thrown rocks and toys, overturned chairs, and children levitating. Now, over a period of 18 months, again, those are beginning and an end, more than 30 people, including neighbors, psychic researchers, and journalists said they saw heavy furniture moving of its own accord, objects being thrown across the room, and the daughters seeming to levitate several feet off the ground. Many also heard and recorded Unexplained knocking noises and a gruff voice. Now, there is a video that's out of one of the. Re- it's uh, it's not really a video. It's a recording, but it's on YouTube. So it's it's a still picture, but you hear the audio. It is this this researcher trying to communicate to this spirit, and it's communicating back to him through one of the girls. And you hear this. You hear this voice, and I mean, I'm not kidding. That's kind of what it sounds like, right? But it's it's emanating from one of the one of the girls, and it's it's talking back and forth to this doctor, not conversationally. The doctor is 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 grilling it essentially. It's asking it's asking it a lot of questions about why it's there, and it, it says that it has all these dogs to protect it. I think it says it has 68 dogs. He's like, why would you have 68 dogs? It's like, you know, to keep you from killing me. And it says, so you, you're trying to keep us from killing you. How would we kill you? And it says, um, by praying to God, you know, so, Again, you listen to it, and it's creepy, and it's it's an old recording, so it's kind of hard to understand. You're relying on the doctor, repeating what the voice is saying in many cases. But, I mean, eyewitnesses have, you know, attested to the validity of what was recorded. Um, but there there are some things that, that make it a little bit questionable that I'm going to talk about in just a second. Um, The activity in the house, it it attracted a lot of attention from the press. And the story was covered in British newspapers such as the Daily Mail, the Daily Mirror, and until the reports just came to an end in 1979. So due to the attention that the story attracted, multiple paranormal investigators visited the home during the two-year period. Now many claim that some type of entity was indeed to blame. However, researchers seem to believe that the infill poltergeist was nothing more than an elaborate prank played by the two girls. So the 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 voice doesn't sound like that it's something that a a young teenage girl could could reproduce.
0: Right. You know?
2: Um could could they have done something, you know, with technology available in nineteen seventy seven? Probably.
0: Yeah, maybe it's, so.
2: It's unlikely at the ages of fourteen and eleven mm-hmm. that they would have had access to um to something that could have altered their voice in such a manner. Yeah. Um, but it's possible. And it's possible that everybody that was involved in that was in on it.
0: Yep. That's true you too. Know?
2: And so they had a they had help. Um but it, you know, it, it is still out there and it and it's worth a listen. Now, on several occasions the girls were noted making comments that they were playing a trick, you know, but they would recant these statements later. You know, There, there, there is some some documentation that says, you know, one of them would, would make a comment about something not being real, and the other one would look at them harshly or say, shut up, you know, like, hey, you're giving it away, right, you're telling right. too much. Um, I see that with my kids, mm-hmm. you know. One of them is spinning some big yarn, and and then you know he's letting on that they're they're just full of baloney, and then the other one's like, "Stop
0: poking Mm -hmm. them! You know, shut up! Kicking them under the table."
2: Yeah. So you know, I think a lot of that though is just it's young kids. Oh sure. You know, we got some attention because of what was going on, so we're gonna elaborate on it. Yeah. We're gonna you know really play this up. Right, um, and so at the end of all of this the the girls have said that, yes, some of the things that happened were them just playing along,
1: mm-hmm. you
2: know, thinking,, uh, this will be funny if like there was a researcher who had a tape recorder, and the tape recorder went missing, and one of the girls later confessed to taking the tape recorder and moving it and then putting it somewhere else. Just to heighten the story, however, they do say that the majority of what happened during this two year period was legit, that it really did happen, and they just kind of got caught up in all the attention and
0: perpetuated and it.
2: yeah, they you know they just they really played it up, so
0: mm-hmm.
2: you know if a if a cup smashed on the floor without anybody touching it, all of a sudden it was the whole cabinet.
0: Right, right, right. You
2: know, it, it it was much bigger than it really was. But something did actually happen that they couldn't explain. Now, the, there are photographs. There are lots of photographs from the Enfield Poltergeist case. And one of the most famous ones is of the girls levitating off the ground. Now, I've looked at these pictures and it. It does look like what they have tried to explain it that they used a still camera with a timer
1: mm-hmm. that
2: snapped a photo every 15 seconds. And that this was nothing more than the girls getting a photo snapped after bouncing off of the bed, right? which gives the appearance that they're levitating. And in one of the photos, you can see the girl's hair it looks exactly that.
1: Mm-hmm. So
2: it's not levitating per se. It's either I'm. I jumped or bounced up into the air, and my hair is kind of flying. Right. Or I'm thrown. Mm-hmm. So, you know, take that for what you will. It, it's you know, it's compelling, but they they've really tried to yeah. explain it away. I've seen this, those
0: pictures, and they are yeah. questionable yeah. because they're stills. Right. You know, it, it's you know, hard to not, legitimize seeing, a still.
2: Yeah, we're not seeing video of a of a teenage girl floating,
0: mm-hmm.
2: which, you know, if, if somebody tells me I, I saw this girl levitate, that's what I'm going to think in my head. Right. That's right. what I want to see. I don't want to see this sprawled out thing. Like she's doing some kind of gymnastics, mm-hmm. move, which one of the girls was.
0: See, there you go. So,
2: um, you know, it's a possibility. Um, but even though most of the events in the info poltergeist are speculatory, It's widely believed by researchers to have been a complete hoax. Um, And the movie The Conjuring 2 is loosely based on this case. Right. You know, so um, there there are books, multiple books written about the infield poltergeist, and there's a lot of web articles. Like I said, there's videos. You know, if you want to look into some of the stuff that Adam and I have researched, this is a good one to start. Um, Just because there's so much information about it. If we wanted to, we could do an entire episode just about this case. Um, But, you know, with everything that happened in it and it coming out to where it really leans toward it's not exactly real, that it's played up a lot. There may have been something or some things that were very strange and unexplained. But the majority of it was overactive imagination yep. Embellishment. And, and enjoying the attention. Right. So
0: and kids are known to do that.
2: That's right. That's right. So. So, again, you know, we're, we're seeing a lot of of commonality here. You know, this one was not as violent. Um, but it was very active if if you're buying in that this was legit. Mm-hmm. So let's talk about one that really creeps me out um now now this one there there's a lot to this one and a lot of paranormal researchers when when these folks reached out refused to even meet with them because they immediately played it off as a hoax they said there's no way that this is going on and we're not even going to waste our time but there is some things that lend to the validity of what this family says happened in their house. Um, this this story has become known as the South Shields Poltergeist. Now, in the winter of 2005, a young couple that are typically called Mark and, and either Marianne or Mariana um, because they wanted to remain anonymous. So their their real names have not been review, revealed about this case. That to me lends some validity. Sure. Validity. It's getting late <laughs> and, and it's I can't getting talk. real late. My tongue's getting tired. Um, validity to their claims. Um but we call them we're, we're going to call them Mark and and Mariana. And their 3-year-old son Robert. They lived in a in a relatively peaceful neighborhood, had a pretty peaceful life. In a little terraced house in the coastal town of South Shields in northeast England. Now, in December of 2005, the family began to experience a series of steadily escalating paranormal phenomena that they were unable to explain. Now, it started simply enough with things like doors suddenly opening or closing on their own when no one was touching them, or strange sounds coming from the walls. After that, furniture and other objects began began to move around on their own, such as chairs found stacked on top of each other upon a table in the bedroom, and a large, heavy chest of drawers moved from one bedroom to another. Now, there's only three people in this house, and one of them's a child. Mm -hmm. Okay? So if if I didn't do it, and if you didn't do it, we know this kid didn't do it. How Junior did this, sure didn't. How did this big old thing get from that bedroom to that bedroom?
0: I needed that poltergeist a week ago.
2: <laughs> that's right. Call the poltergeist moving company. Right. You know, we get your crap moved around. You yep. got a heavy chest of drawers? We we got it.
0: Yep. Just leave the house, come back, and it's moved. <laughs>
2: and it's always a chest of drawers. I guess that's, you know, probably one of the heaviest pieces of furniture anybody's yeah. got. That's so It says, if I'm going to
0: make myself known, I'm going to move this big, yep. heavy thing. That's exactly what I had to move. So I I had to get Ashley to help me. I could have used a poltergeist.
2: Oh, man, you made me lose my spot. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. So in some of these cases, you know, and Adam had talked about what was witnessed or heard. It was done by the time the investigators got there. Not in this case. OK, this stuff kept kept right on going and it didn't matter who was there, or who was looking. So there was a there was one situation where the furniture could be heard moving around and sliding over the floor of the son's room upstairs and nobody was there. And that, that pretty much scared everybody. And another weird occurrence that they noticed during during this time was these random bangs and thuds and knocking that would become more and more pronounced, as well as just sudden temperature drops in the room. You know, they're sitting there and all of a sudden, bam, it's freezing in here. What what just happened? Um, All of this is typical poltergeist activity, but things would escalate. And they would get more bizarre, and in this case, more sinister. And the spirit really began to turn its focus Um, to Robert's toys. So, uh, and Adam's going to love this. So the first, the first occurrence of this was one night, um, everybody's in bed, they're asleep and Mariana is woken by something hitting her head pretty hard and she's startled. She wakes up. She doesn't know what's just happened. You know, she looks over and Mark's asleep. And she begins to look around, and she notices one of Robert's toy dogs in the floor. So, like, well, he didn't come in here and do this, and Mark didn't do it. And while she's contemplating what's going on, bam, she gets hit again by a different toy. Okay, now something's going on. So she leans over, and she starts to wake up Mark that's lying next to her. And she begins to notice more things moving around in the room. Mark sees this too, and all of a sudden they're being pelted with toys from every direction, and and hard.
0: Now screw that, <laughs> screw that. Yeah.
2: So so now you get you're in a room and there's there's toys flying about and they're hitting you. So they tried to pull the blanket up over their head to protect themselves.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: But they describe what they felt like was invisible hands or a force actively trying to pull the covers back down off of them. Hell no. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, so this really began to, to scare them. While all of this is going on, Mark screamed in pain. And everything stopped. But when they looked, he had 13 scratches on his back. So, I mean, that's pretty violent right there.
0: Yeah, 13 scratches. You don't ever, I mean, when people get scratches, it's two, three, you know, four, maybe if it's the full hand. But 13 is ridiculous. This
2: was something going after him. Yeah. And oddly enough, and, and we've heard stories like this before. Um, the scratches seem to be healed by the next day. Now, that's one of these things that these, you know, debunkers tend to go, oh, yeah, you had scratches last night, but I don't see any evidence of them today. Okay. Mm -hmm. Um, There's going to be more on that. All of this happens, and these two folks are completely terrified. So the entity began to become obsessed with, really trying to scare and panic them. So one time the family found their son's rocking horse, like I said, it like the toys, hanging by its reins from the the opening for a ceiling loft, you know, like an attic door. Right and, and now there's a, a wooden rocking horse hanging up there. And again, this situation. If I didn't do it and you didn't do it, we know that this kid didn't do it. How'd it get up
1: there? Mm-hmm.
2: Okay. And you remember I mentioned something about objects being staged at the beginning of the episode. Right. OK, so they come home one day and they find one of Robert's toy bunnies sitting positioned at the top of the stairs holding a box cutter. Hmm. So that's not a random thing. That's not an object move from one place to another.
0: Mm-mm. You
2: know, the bunny and the box cutter we're probably not stored in the same place. Probably not. I I mean, I don't I don't keep my box cutters with my bunny toys.
0: No. So I mean, it, you'll you hurt might. yourself, you know. <laughs> I just have bunny toys with box cutters. So,
2: so yeah. So <laughs> this this looks like something that was deliberately done to frighten
1: them. Mm-hmm.
2: You know, I mean, it would frighten me. Sure. Um So they couldn't figure out who was placing these toys in such a way that was obviously staged to frighten them. Toys would roll across the floor on their own without warning, and they would make noises. Like, a toy that wasn't supposed to make noises would have these eerie moaning or creaking or groaning noises coming from it. And electronic toys, of course, would turn on by themselves. And another weird occurrence that was described is a sink in the bathroom allegedly starting to fill up with blood to the point of nearly overflowing and then vanished. So one habit that this particular poltergeist had was leaving threatening messages on the sun's magnetic doodle board. Hmm. So these messages were typically ominous and aggressive and were peppered with profanity, which I won't use here. But they're saying things like, you're dead. Just go now. RIP and go, you know, foul language.
0: Right. So go fornicate with yourself.
2: <laughs> essentially. And sometimes they were they were paired with, you know, really strange shapes and symbols scrawled next to them. Now, these messages would eventually progress from the board to emails. And then to text messages and Mariana would receive text messages on her phone, which were typically death threats or promises of violence, such as, you know, I will get you die now. Uh, One message says going to die today, going to get you. And another read, I can get you when you awake and I'll come for you when you asleep. So, you know, and poltergeists are, are, they're not, you know, they're they're not English teachers, right? You know, they don't use correct grammar. Right.
1: <laughs> they
0: don't have a firm grasp of grammar.
2: But if uh, if you read any of my kids' text message, they don't either, right? <laughs> <laughs> I can't. I, I, I'm constantly going. What does that mean? You know? Oh, I'm, okay. You know, y'all.
0: Lmao. They all T F L They
2: all in code now. Right. Um. But none of the messages could be tracked um, to a specific email account. And some reports say they were coming from nowhere. Others say that they were actually coming from their home phone when nobody was there. So how does a home phone send a text message? That's another thing. That's a cool trick. You know, (laughs) not only have they learned how to text, but they can text from a landline.
0: They're updating technology. (laughs)
2: Um, but, but Mariana said her cell would just constantly receive calls one after another from the home phone number when she knew nobody was there. So one of these incidents revolved around their son, Robert. It said one time the couple found their son in another room on the floor, tightly cocooned in his blanket with a plastic table perched on top of him, almost as if it had been balanced there. Um the boy was described as being in kind of a kind of a trance-like state like he wasn't really sure what was going on he was kind of out of it but he's wrapped up in this blanket and his eyes were kind of staring off you know into space another time the couple's cl- the couple claims that Robert went missing and they were searching the house and they found him stuffed into a closet tightly bound by his blanket now this could have been just Robert playing a trick or playing and wrapping himself up in a blanket. I mean, I think everybody has seen a child do something, you know, see how tight I can roll up mm. into this thing. Um, But I, I mean, I don't know. It's kind of strange. You know, why would he stuff himself in a closet so tight
0: that he couldn't get out? And the perching you know? of the table. Right. Kinda.
2: I mean, you know, that's that's really kind of strange. But they they were convinced at this point. That there was a malevolent entity in their home, and and it was out to attack them.
0: And it took them to this point, huh? Yeah.
2: Took them just till now. You know, look, you know, that first text message would have been for
0: me. Right. Text <laughs> message from my landline. I'd have been, nope. Yeah, I'm out. Nope. I'm done. Get, you know. Hell, getting hit in the head with a dog toy? Right. No. Yeah. No. Sorry. Yeah. Uh-uh. Well,
2: yeah. The. The one toy would have been enough. Imagine mm-hmm. being pelted by a bunch of other toys.
0: It's like a- Imagine
2: if it was a Rubik's Cube.
0: Man, that would have hurt. Maybe that's where all the scratches came <laughs> <That's> from. <right. laughs> Unfinished Rubik's Cube. It's a
2: good thing their kid wasn't into like ninja stars and stuff. Right. You
0: know? Legos.
2: So uh, all of this stuff prompted uh, Mark and Mariana to call in someone to investigate. And soon they would meet paranormal researchers Mike how, uh Hallowell and Darren Ritson. Now, for their part, Hollowell and Ritson weren't particularly convinced that this was legit. You know, like I said, most of the researchers they had talked to turned them down w- without even listening to all of their story. They just they said, that you know, these claims are just too outlandish. You know, you're making this up. You're looking for attention and we're not going to buy into it. We don't we don't really want to waste our time. So the the violent uh, poltergeist behavior is is actually quite rare. You know, the you know the, the the breaking of things, the throwing of objects, um you know the the knocking, you know the the footsteps, those are the things that we typically associate with a poltergeist haunting. But these physical attacks aren't typical necessarily. You know, now they are in some of the stories that I'm sharing, but out of the, the, the four that I've shared tonight, you know, I chose them because of this, you right. know, because they're, they're the ones that are unusual. They're the scary ones, but you can see there are hundreds
1: oh,
0: of, yeah. of
2: stories, you know, some of them lasting a few hours and some of them like, you know, lasting as you know, for years, mm-hmm. you know, and. And it seems like the McKenzie poltergeist is, is 20 years and counting. So, um, but nevertheless, you know, Hollowell and Ritson decided, okay, we're going to go, we're going to do an investigation on this place. And so they took all their equipment, you know, motion activated cameras, sensors, and some other sophisticated gear. And they really honestly didn't expect to find anything. They, they, they wanted more or less to just go in there and say, see. There's nothing here. You're making this up, or you're misinterpreting what's happening. Um, there's a, there's a a good explanation for all of this stuff, but they were wrong. So the sinister presence that was residing within that house um, seemed to be pretty upset that they were there, and it began to really escalate. Escalate. I mean.
0: And where is it going from here?
2: Right. I mean, you know, at this point, you know, they're they're being attacked. Their son's being wrapped up in blankets. They're having toys thrown at them. Their uh, husband's being scratched. something like, of blood. On. Yeah. What what else you got to do? Um, but it, uh, it it would do this in full view of the investigators, which, again, is, is odd. Right. Because like we said, most of the time, the activity is ceased by the time an investigator ever gets there.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: So- Again, with the toys, the toys began to move around, uh, unexplained noises, even talk, you know, disembodied voices would would come out of an old baby monitor. Um, Their gear was often turned off or broken by unseen forces, you know, toys. And on one occasion, even knives were thrown at them by unseen hands. So, yeah, it it is escalating. Um, Investigators witnessed doors open and would slam closed objects levitating. Uh, blankets on beds sliding off, lampshades swinging, strange messages appearing on the sun's board or on pieces of paper, and various household items or furniture would balance at strange angles. And there is a photograph, you can Google it and see it, of a chair perched on a table at an angle that's absolutely impossible. I mean, it it would have had to have been made that way or something holding it in that right. position. Um Some of these phenomena, like I said, were successfully captured on film, such as a water bottle balancing on a table at a really unnatural, unnatural diagonal position. Um, Perhaps the most strange and frightening event that the two investigators, Ritson and Hollowell, noticed was they claimed to have actually seen the entity itself. One evening, Hollowell and Ritson claimed that they saw a large, dark shape appear on the balcony and walk around the outside of Robert's room. Mariana, who was with the investigators at the time, also saw the apparition and, and screamed. The entity then proceeded to walk right through the room in front of them. And Hollowell, he described what he saw. Um, this is what Hollowell said. The entity walked slowly from the bathroom, across the landing, into the bedroom. As it passed the door to Robert's room, it paused and stared icily at me. Its face, devoid of all features such as eyes, nose, or mouth, was cold and menacing. It felt like it was burrowing into my soul. It was large, maybe two meters in height and midnight black it was three it was a three-dimensional silhouette that just radiated sheer evil so and this is one of these things this happened and they had a camera but they were so scared they forgot to turn it on
0: right i probably wouldn't be too I, I,
2: you know it's one of those things that you say oh yeah sure you forgot to turn it on but honestly if if what they're describing actually happened to me, I, that wouldn't be my first thing to no. think of is I'm, no, well, I, no want, I really. want to film it. I'd be like, I want to get away from it. Right. You know, this thing's already thrown knives and stuff at me. Mm-hmm. You know, I I don't want to mess with it any further, to be honest with you. Um, but they were, they were pretty much stunned that they were able to witness this. And Hollowell would later say, um, it was it was gutting said we all saw it but we didn't get the proof that we needed. So the investigators would get a look at the at the at the phantom again when it began to show really violent tendencies towards Mark. So just a few days after encountering the apparition in Robert's bedroom, they watched as it approached Mark and physically attacked him. So during this encounter, everyone present could, could see a large, uh, wicked, wicked, wicked scratch marks. It's like I'm from New England. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That thing was wicked scary. Yeah.
0: <laughs> wicked big, man.
2: But they they formed on Mark's back as this thing approached him. And this is what, uh, this is the quote that Hollowell said about seeing this incident. You could actually watch the scratches forming. First, an elongated red patch, then sharply defined scratches within it. Cuts started to appear on the right-hand side of his back, and they immediately bled. Then Mark's skin started to change color. It went dark, almost as if it was sunburnt. He said, I've seen film and stills of poltergeist scratches appearing before, but nothing like this. And they got this one on video. Nice. They caught the entire... Brutal encounter on tape, and although the video is grainy, the scratches can allegedly be seen to be appearing on Mark. Several other attacks were witnessed, always targeting targeting Mark, sometimes leaving bruises or welts, and other times scratches, all of which faded soon after. With one such assault witnessed by several other investigators, who Hollowell and Ritson had excitedly called in to, uh, in to invite to the plagued home, Just as suddenly as all of this started, one day it all abruptly stopped. And no more phenomena occurred anywhere in the house and everything went quiet. And, you know, to this day, you know, the family remains anonymous at their request. So that in and of itself, and I've mentioned this before, people that want attention, that would go to the links to create a hoax Mm -hmm. or a prank in order to, to draw attention of friends or the media. Um, they want their name out there.
0: Right. Make some money.
2: That's what they want. That's ultimately it. Um, or it's just a matter to go, ha ha, I gotcha. Right. You know, but folks that truly believe what's happened to them, they believe that they've been haunted, they've been attacked by a spirit, or they've that they've 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 gotten into some paranormal activity that 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 has frightened them or you know they they can't explain and and investigators can't explain they don't really want that kind of attention, you know especially after something like this. I mean because you you're going to garner you're going to garner two types of attention with with a case like this. You you're, you're going to get the people that are like you're full of crap. You know, you're a lunatic, you're crazy, you're you're you you're bad for that child. I mean imagine that. I mean right. You know, people coming in, especially I mean this is modern era. I mean, you can imagine if two adults with a small child start spinning these kind of stories Next thing you know, Child Protective Services is knocking on your door going, this is not a really healthy environment. Mm-hmm. You know, so you can understand why. Or you get the opposite. You get every loony, you know, from around the globe wanting to come and talk to you, go to your house, get in your business, invest, do their own investigation. They, they want to see it. They want to see you get attacked. They want to see the scratches, everything, mm-hmm. because th- that's what... That's what they're that. That's what fuels them. That's what really gets them going. Right. They want to see that. Um. And to be honest with you, if if I were these people, I wouldn't want any part of either one of them. No. So I can understand why they would want to be anonymous. But if it was a hoax, why do it at all? Sure. Why go to these links to remain anonymous and not get the attention
0: yeah, for the three or four people that saw it?
2: For the people that really feel like this is a hoax, you know, all I can say is if it was a hoax, then the investigators were in on it. They had to be. Yeah. Because, you know, they did eventually write a book, you know, about the South Shields poltergeist. So there was some financial gain for them. But you got to consider, too, if you consider yourself a professional paranormal investigator all of your credibility would would hinge on something like this mm-hmm. you know for you to have this kind of evidence and for you to have this kind of experience and go public with it every everything you do from that point forward is is going to be shadowed by this so you got to make for damn sure That what you're doing is above board and that, you know, what you're telling is what you saw. You know, you may not understand what you saw. You may even misinterpret it, but you got to know that in your mind, this is exactly what you saw.
0: Yep. Cause it'll be picked apart.
2: That's right. So out of, out of all these cases, To me, this one was the most terrifying. Oh, yeah. This was a family under attack. This is the one that reminded me the most of the movie. You
1: -hmm. know,
2: and, you know, it it reminded me of the Poltergeist movie and, you know, Amityville Horror, those kind of things, you know, as the movie. I think, you know, I think everybody knows all the things that transpired with, you know, the the story behind the Amityville, the true story behind Amityville Horror. But nonetheless... We're talking about a family that was under attack by, you know, some type of entity. Um, and I, I don't think anybody, you know, whether you're into this kind of stuff or not, you want to see something like that. You know, Mm -hmm. everybody, you know, I want to see a ghost. I want to experience something. I mean, you and I have done it. I mean, we we've been to places. We've talked about going to other places. You know. This is not the experience you want. No. You know, you don't want to be physically attacked by an unknown entity. Uh, so to to really dig into something like this, you know, you, you you've got to consider everything that was involved. I mean, if if this is legit, this family was tormented.
1: Sure. You Big know, time,
2: and you know, they, they don't want any part of it. So when Adam and I say things like leave those Ouija boards alone, <laughs> yeah. this is the kind of stuff that we, we would want someone to avoid.
0: <laughs> right Well thinking about mean, you guys.
2: That's right. So, um, but you know, again, this was, this was a terrifying story to me mm-hmm. and um, there's a lot of information about it. And, and as much as I covered, um, there, there's a lot that I left out that goes into greater detail. Um, and, and it is and it is violent and it is scary. So um, look into it if uh, if you've got enough guts. Right. <laughs> you know, there, there's no tour, you know, there's no house that you're going to go to and find. Um, but it it is it is an amazing account of what's considered to be. You know a poltergeist haunting mm-hmm. so um we really hope that we we spooked you guys tonight I mean you know we were we were really getting getting back into what graveyard tales is all about, you know these really scary ghost stories, and you take all of that information that that Adam and I talked about at the beginning of this show, um all of those theories of what it could be. And and look at these stories and see if you think it fits. See if you think there's something that could explain this away for these folks. Personally, I don't know how you explain a text message coming from your own house telling no. you know that it wants you to die.
0: No, you now that that last story to me is, is probably the most legit yeah. of all the ones we covered. Yeah,
2: I don't know. I don't know how you explain um, taking a tour of of, uh, of a mausoleum. And people coming away with bruises and scratches. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't know how you explain that. Um, so, you know, e- even if it was telekinesis by an individual, it's not going to go on for 20 years in a single location with, you know, probably hundreds of people that right. have gone through there. Um, 450 attacks, you know, at Greyfriars Kirkyard. 180 people lost consciousness. You know, it makes you think something's going on.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: You know, some something is going on. You know, and I don't think that you can just, as I called it at the beginning, pigeonhole these events into the scientific theories that want to explain every little aspect of it because we don't really understand what's truly at the heart of what's happening. Right. So. Right. So hope you got pretty scared tonight. Um, like I said, turn off the lights and listen to this one. Yeah. So, um, but as always, as I mentioned, beginning of the show, join our Facebook group. These are the kind of stories that we like to share. We like to hear our listeners sharing them and the discussions that come about. Um, follow us on other social media, follow us on Twitter, follow us on Instagram by searching graveyard tales, and please be sure and check out our website. It's graveyardpodcast.com. Now, on the website, you can listen to the show. There are links to go buy Graveyard Tales merchandise. Uh, You can become a patron. uh, And we really do appreciate everybody that has donated to the show. Um, And most importantly, you can buy tickets to our live event coming up October 20th in Nashville with Hillbilly Horror Stories, EVP Mediums, and Macabre melts at Hale nashville um and as i always say go and rate and review us on itunes thank you guys for listening tonight and until next time we'll save you a seat in the graveyard
0: see you soon